0: Well, open up your Bibles, we're going to get to 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3, so we can finish what we start. But I just want to give you a little bit of feedback about where I was at this week. I left on Tuesday afternoon to be with um, 100 different pastors, church planters, missionaries from around the country uh, in San Diego for two days. And it was just a, a, a collective gathering where the question is, what does revival or renewal look like in the church in America, in the West? And the unanimous con- confession was, the church in the West needs revival. <laughs> we got three golf claps. I was surrounded by talented, super smart, super gifted, super anointed. They have big mega churches, big, some big, some small, and all in between. All of these guys and a lot of gals as well, these ministry leaders from around the country. But it's almost like you could see in everybody's eye, even the brightest, I would say that some of the brightest in America, God Pour out the Holy Spirit. We need you to move in a significant and profound way in our day. And, you know, and so all week just kind of looking at various pastors, various leaders around the country, what does that look like? How do we how do we set our hearts together as pastors and leaders of this generation to see God move by his Holy Spirit and bring transformation to our culture And what's so funny about all of the answers is that they're answers we all know, (laughs) like prayer, fasting, seeking the face of God, allowing the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to cleanse us and to wash us of our compromise, to admit that we are not those that have arrived but are on a journey who need God's grace for our everyday life and faithfulness. These things that you don't find a chapter and verse and say, oh, I never saw that coming. But in many ways, it's, it's simply a return back to wholehearted fidelity to Jesus Christ, his cross and his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And in many ways, I'm glad that it's that simple. Because how many would, would say, it's pretty complicated and chaotic in our cultural moment. I'm thankful that the wisest one in the mix meets us on these profoundly simple but deeply costly terms. I want you, all of you, for myself, for my glory, and for my purposes on the earth. And so... I, I left, um, honestly, because I, I'm, I am a, I'm a 50-50, literally cut me in half, I'm an introvert, extrovert, so at, at some point I was like, I'm done being with all these people, I want to go pray in a closet and just spend hours just not listening to anyone else talk, I just want to hear the spirit talk, and so I went on a couple runs in San Diego, suffering on the pier, you know, the beautiful running path but thank you church staff and church board for allowing me and to be a part of this group it really is a humble honor and so let's pray before we get into the word this morning god i thank you for the bible i thank you for the the apostolic faith that has been once and for all passed on to us and handed down from generation to generation i thank you that your word is solid Thank you that your word is sure. That the confession of our faith is the solid rock, the stone laid in Zion, the unshakable, unmovable reality of Christ and his kingdom. And Father, I pray that we would double, triple, and quadruple down on our faith and fidelity to the one thing. Jesus, him crucified, resurrected, ascended, and soon coming. I pray, Lord, that you would so reach out your right hand and grab a hold of the inner man or the inner woman of your church, and you would shake us from our slumber, give us a vision of your beauty and your glory, and God, enable and empower us to give our life the life that you've been so faithful in to say, God, here we are. Use us for your glory and your purpose and your pleasure. In Jesus' mighty name we prayed, amen and amen. So 1 Peter chapter 3, and please, you know, um, I don't push this enough, and I understand it's weird, COVID, I don't know what variant that we're on at this point, but I'm not, I, I'm not making a joke. I mean, I've lost a couple pastor friends who've lost family members. It's a real thing. But I understand inviting people to churches can be awkward. It's always kind of awkward because many of us are mostly shy when it comes to and, you know, talking about our faith to people who don't know Jesus. But as the Spirit empowers you and as you and I take steps this week, let's invite some folks. Next week is going to be really fun as we launch Radiant Central Coast, who thinks by show of hands they might be able to invite one person to come to Radiant Central Coast? Just maybe one person. Even if it's by text message. Come on, Robert, tell them. Text messaging can be very effective. And so let's, let's take a step, let's take a reach, because there are many, many, many who are, like Pastor Andrew said at ministry time, who are suffering from loneliness and isolation, they would be thrilled to know they're invited to participate in a a spiritual community like this. Amen? So Father, I pray that you would come upon us now, Holy Spirit, that you'd be our teacher, that you would show us the great and unsearchable things that are hidden in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I pray that the treasure chest that is Jesus would be opened before us today. And Father, as we read all of these, what looks like just moral imperatives, be this, do that, I pray that Peter, as he always reminds us, our being and our doing all flow from a person, and they all flow by virtue of being connected to that person named Jesus. So right now, Holy Spirit, however we've lived this week, disconnected, frantic, troubled in heart fear-driven, anxious, worrisome. Whatever it is, I pray right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would grab a hold of us and hook us into the vine, name, Jesus. Hook us into life in the spirit. God, we want an upgrade in our thinking. We want an upgrade in our being. And we certainly want an upgrade in our doing. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe on us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, verse eight, we've talked about abstaining, everyone's favorite word from sin. And then we've now, for several weeks, talked about the call to subversive submission. So, taking the power structures, power dynamics of our world, the governing authorities, bosses and employees, spouses, wives and husbands. And now, Peter's like, okay. Specific, 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 now, general. This is now the call for the, all of those apply to all of us in various levels in, in, in our interaction, in culture, in family, in work. And Now, he's just going to double again, double down on how the church, and again, if you think church as pulpit and pew, we're not thinking what they would have thought, These are households, literally, That's called the household of faith, in houses, huddled away from the mega power source of Rome, and these exiled foreigner, they have no pedigree, they have no standing in culture, they have no safety net from the government or from getting ahead by identifying with the slain and slaughtered lamb Jesus. They have each other. They have the living hope of Christ on the inside and a glorious inheritance in the age to come. And they're figuring out how they're supposed to live together in light of who God is and as he's revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So please don't lose sight of it. These are not just coffee mug verses that we just think. These, are, these have to be anchored in real time, actual relationships with other human beings. Or we just, it's just like, oh, thanks, Peter. We have now seven more adverbs and adjectives to think about. No, these will be tested in the fire of real-time relationships. And I am so struck by how much I have fallen victim to this kind of thinking I I like to think of myself as someone who's very committed to piety, to holiness. I I mean, since I was 16, the fear of God. I don't want to do anything bad. I'm so glad for that deep core DNA that I inherited, that I was raised in. I wanted to pray. I wanted to be zealous for God. But if we're not careful, that road can lead to kind of this deformed All that matters is me and Jesus' mindset. But what Peter constantly does, and Jesus constantly does first, is you can't tell me you're devoted to me just in the realm of me and you and not be as equally committed to loving people with skin and bone on. And I just, I don't like that. But I like it. I don't have anything. I just can't change it. It's the Bible. And so all of our pursuits of piety and prayer and purity They will meet their demise if we don't take as an equal call and command to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And so we're in this tension. And Peter's already made the argument, Husbands, if you're a jerk to your wife, your prayers are hindered. Mic drop. Verse 7. That's the context of finally all of you in verse 8. And so Peter and Jesus and all the apostles and the saints past, present, and future. How we treat each other has direct correlation and impact on our influence with God and releasing his kingdom on the earth. Can you just say amen to that? I mean, it's just, it's hard to, hard to argue. So he's already made that argument. How you treat each other impacts your relationship with the Lord. Verse Let's just walk through this glorious passage. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. How many today want to inherit a blessing? That is a good golf clap. All of us, every person on the planet wants to be blessed. Amen. Now, the jury is out on how to get to the blessed life. right. Right? Dog eat dog, climb the corporate ladder, destroy the reputation of your colleagues so that you get the raise. I mean, there are millions of roadmaps to a, quote, blessed life. But Peter anchors the blessed life as, as the objective that we inherit as a gift as we go through the gauntlet and grind of kingdom community. Ugh. So now we've, called, we've, we've, we've understood to submit to governing authorities, to our bosses, to our spouses. Now he's saying, let this mindset of submission and abstaining go even deeper. This is how the church is meant to operate. We're not meant to operate in the spirit of the culture of the age, the tit-for-tat, retaliate, eye-for-eye, power over, pecking order, dominate and domineer to get ahead. This is the spirit of the age, and it has no place amongst those who already are recipients of the spirit of the age to come, the Holy Spirit. And so Peter grounds this moral imperative In the dynamic reality that because of who we are in Christ, we don't just get to confess one thing and then exude or exemplify a different spirit. No, he calls us to unity of spirit. This is all over the Bible. My goodness, oneness. Jesus prayed it in John 17. And it's not unity or uniformity. How many are thankful it's not uniformity? How boring would that be in the kingdom of God? It's unity of heart and purpose and quest in the midst of the diversity of gifts and graces that each spirit-filled believer possesses. It's a unity of heart, a unity of mind to have the same vision that success is defined as in the kingdom, loving God and obeying Jesus and serving others. And then he says to possess sympathy. That means to suffer with, to love one another as we've been loved, read John 13, 34 and five. To have, I love this language, a tender heart. Everyone say a tender heart. This is our operating, to operate in empathy and understanding, and then he says a humble mind or a sober servanthood outlook in the community of saints. One commentator summarizes these five imperatives, how one thinks and how one feels provide the central concept for how one loves. And in both directions, humbleness of mind, like-mindedness of purpose, sympathetic and tender-hearted, these are the guardrails to saying yes to becoming a loving community built on Jesus Christ. And I honestly, to to summarize these first few verses and I've gotta move on, it's really the word meekness. Everybody say meekness. If there is one thread that ties all five imperatives, humility, sympathy, compassion, oneness of mind, brotherly and sisterly love. It would be meekness. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they will, say the I word again, inherit the earth. Interestingly, you think Peter picked up a cue from his rabbi Jesus, same word. You wanna inherit a blessing, possess and grab a hold of a spirit of meekness. Now, here's something that we have to understand as believers in Jesus. There are many things we pray to happen to us, and Jesus is like, I've already done the work in you. I now need you to go after this thing that is only found in partnership with me doing a deeper work in you. So why am I not more sympathetic? I'm praying for it. Why am I not more compassionate? I'm asking him to do it. Why am I not more humble? These are things, I love it, He says, to take a hold of them so that you will inherit a blessing. In other words, these are tested in real time and concrete interactions in honest conversations where you want to get even. Instead, you're like, I bet you they had a bad day. I'm going to let that slide. Last night, Ethan, in our room, just waking us up. I was so angry, and my wife and I know that there's, I feel like Saturday night is always a tough night of sleep because Sunday's coming, and in my flesh, and I'm not tooting my horn, please, because there's 80 other times I've not done this, but she's like, babe, you can go to the other room, and in my flesh, I'm like, that room doesn't have a fan. That's not our bed. Why would I do this? And she's the one who suffers. like, I've been gone all week, but in my heart, I'm like, Chad, think of the stinking passage you're preaching tomorrow. I promise you I was tested at 12 a.m. And I stink at falling back asleep. But honestly, so when we look at these five verbs and we, we grab a hold of these things, the only way we grab a hold of them is in moment by moment relational reliance on the Holy Spirit to say, there's a way to react in the flesh right here and right now, but I'm gonna grab a hold of humility that there's a greater purpose in my family than just Chad, Pastor Chad's sleep before preaching on Sunday. Uh, don't, don't think I'm godly. I'm telling you, it's 80 to 1 ratio when I'm that way. But I'm on a journey to get more like Jesus, like you. How about you? And so when we, when we talk about inheriting a blessing, when we talk about, when he says don't repay evil with evil, these things, they don't happen to us as spectators in, on the stands. They happen in the field of real life. I'm telling you, when we see Jesus in the age to come, All of those things that we thought we were at our least like spiritual or godly or like devotionally devoted. He's gonna be like all of those times when you felt nothing but every time the spirit revealed that that's out of sync with Christ's character, out of his conduct and you responded in weak, humble love. He's like all of those times your roots were growing deep, deeper, deeper to the river of life and you're bearing fruit even when you didn't know you were bearing fruit. I'm telling you, godliness is as unflashy, un-Instagram worthy than you and I could ever comprehend. Many of us think I'm becoming more like Christ and I'm aware of it. I'm aware of it. He's like, no, wait to the end of your life and look at all the mundane where you just said yes to cultivating the spirit of the age to come instead of the spirit of the age. When you did that, every single time it moved my heart. Even if you didn't feel a stinking thing. Comprende en espanol, stinking thing. No, no comprende. Meekness. And why I love that meekness, patience, gentleness, peacefulness, humility, submissive, obedience, that's meekness. I love that this really possesses all of these five imperatives because meekness is power and submission. What I love, Peter's already told us, live as free people, verse 13 of chapter 2. So we're free through the gospel. And why I love meekness is that it's a willful choice to put others above me. I'm never a victim. I'm never of a, oh, I just, I have no, I have no agency. I have no will. I have no choice in the matter. No, because meekness is the road to blessing. I always have a choice to choose that path. I have power to choose my mindset, what I focus on and how I operate in this situation. And how many are so thankful the devil has his heyday when we think choice and agency are out of the equation. I'm just stuck in worry. I'm just stuck in sin. I'm just stuck in compromise. I'm just stuck in depression. I'm just stuck in anxiety. And the, 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 the lie of the enemy is to create such a larger picture that it blocks your vision of what is possible because you still have a choice no matter what, I mean, even if it's just an internal choice. And he makes it feel helpless and hopeless and we're paralyzed to take a step. Peter, because meekness is the way, I love that even if you're in prison, Acts chapter 16, you can sing a song and chains can fall off. We all want to be blessed. And Peter says, the way to blessing is through the way of those five descriptors summarized in a spirit of meekness. We're called to become like Christ in every single way, especially how we relate to each other. I love this. For this you were called. Everyone say, for this you were called. I want you to know we are called to inherit a blessing. For this. For what? Living a blessed kingdom life. In the transformation, the formation of Christ on the inside of us, we were made for that. Every believer, from the youngest to the oldest saint, we are called to inherit the blessed life that flows from Jesus Christ. And what's so dynamic, remember, again, believers in exile, no power, no authority, nothing culturally to get them ahead. They literally, one commentator, and this is very well known, humility was not exactly a virtue in Greco-Roman thought. It was like the plague. It was a power over, dominating, uh, patriarchal, you know, the strong survive. This whole idea, this quality of life called humility, gentleness, and meekness literally is what brought the big, bad empire to its knees. I'm telling you, what, that's all we're talking about. That's why Christ is so compelling. I love this. It says this, a new quality of life was literally introduced by Christianity. In the Hellenistic world, Greeks considered meekness to be weakness and resisted in favor of strength, but it was Christ who made servanthood the chief virtue, and he introduced a new concept for living, mainly to live for others than yourself in a spirit of humility. And you can test this out in the saints, past, present, future. Those who live the most selfless, others-oriented life are 99.9% of the time the most dynamic, great to be around. Come on, raise your hand if you know someone that they just live that humble, meek. Listen, what's so fascinating, the more groups you go to and big pastors and small pastors and smart people and like the ones you're drawn to are not the ones who have ABC on their 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 pedigree, it's the ones who exude the humility of Jesus. I mean, you can just test this in every circle. It's those who walk in the spirit of Jesus that are most infectious to those who are seeking the genuine and the real. Amen. Amen. Of course, all of these flow from the nature of our king himself. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm humble and gentle in heart. And in a cultural moment that literally runs at the high octane called rage, it sounds so weak. Well, it gets better. Keep going. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. How many will be tested with that every single day of their life? How many, when you get struck, you want to strike back? Can we just have a amen fest and honesty? He's saying this is not the road to blessing. That's what everyone else does, not those who are in the kingdom. And I, what I don't like is now Peter, he's going higher than he's gone, these last 12, 15 verses of chapter two. He's going higher. Don't just accept or tolerate the suffering. Move in a different spirit. We got some amens. And so what he's saying is repay evil with blessings. This is like when Jesus said to love your enemies and if you don't, that's a big issue in the kingdom of God and discipleship to Jesus because he loved us, Romans 5, 8, while we were enemies, amen, we're called to that same kind of love. But what I love about this is If all we had to do was tolerate, eventually I'd get really old. But if there's at least an option in the suffering, in the pushback, in the ostracization, that we can actually move in an opposite spirit, there is something we can participate in and grab a hold of so it's not just one way. Amen. Because eventually if it's just one way, we're getting pushed out of culture, pushed out of culture. This stinks. We're getting pushed out of the out of the center into the margins. Just be quiet believers. You're you're you're, you know, what you confess is, you know, old school. But listen, church, we are called not just to be pushed, but to move in a different spirit and release the blessing of God. We all want to inherit a blessing. Peter gives us the roadmap to the blessing. He quotes Psalm 34, by the way, it, which is where Radiant Church sort of the, it's every Radiant Church's pinnacle passage. Psalm 34, verse 5, you see it on our back of our signs. Those who look to him will be radiant. Their faces will never be covered with shame. He goes on to say, whoever would love life, And see good days on earth must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter, right here in this passage, he quotes Psalm 34. It's on the screens. I was quoting it. It's there. You got it. He just quotes, he just rips off Old Testament. He's like, you want to know how to live blessed? The blessed life is not on the other side of a tongue that just speaks any old way at once. Can anyone receive the discipline of the Lord this morning in the house of God? I love Peter. He's just such a stinker. You want to inherit a blessing? Everyone in the church, in the house church, yes, Peter, we want blessing Repay evil with good. No, that's the blessing? Peter, we want a blessing. I love it. He goes next. Who wants to live a good life and inherit life? He's quoting Psalm 34. Imagine everyone in the church, they probably didn't preach like as as a monologue. It was probably much more conversational. Who wants the good life? Who wants the good life? All right, here's how you do it. Don't let any kind of talk come out of your lips that does not take into account the dignity and honor that that person you're talking to or about that he that he or she bears. My image. Whoever and everyone's like, is that the good life? but they're mean to us. They slander us. They say we're backwards. They're saying that we're bigots. They say we're so old school. They say because we hold to a historic view of God and life and sexuality and salvation and flourishing for culture and society because it's built on a crucified, resurrected, ascended, soon coming king, Ugh. And he's like, I don't care. I've taken into account all of that. If you want the good life, then evidence that you actually want that will be found and flow from the fruit of your lips. How are you talking in this hour? How do you talk about people, about issues? He's saying this, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. See, so many of us, were like, we don't understand Matthew 12, 34 through 38. By our words, we will be condemned or acquitted. And that is Jesus leveling the playing field. Friends, we don't get a pass, even if we're talking about something that's rooted in unrighteousness. That doesn't mean we can't have counter opinions or have a strong belief of the justice and character and kingdom of God. But for some reason, so many of us, Us includes me. I think I get a pass when it pertains to certain dynamics of life. I can talk any way I want. And Peter's like, nah. You want the good life? Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace. Look at this. Seek peace. Where is it? Where's the shalom of God? Where's He interacting? Where's He moving? And then go after it, pursue it. And this may be one of the greatest promises of the Bible. I'm sure there's more that are better, but for now, because it's our text, it's the greatest. Because He's still talking about abstaining and restraining and submission. If you just the whole letter is it's kind of cloaked in Christ likeness. Interesting. For the eyes of the Lord. Are on the righteous. Oh. Where are those who are living in that humble, difficult restraint? They're not walking in the spirit of the age, they're walking in the spirit of my son. Where are they? You know what? Eyes speak of intimacy, proximity, warmth. The eyes of the Lord, say it with me, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Can you imagine to this little exiled community of faith and there's these kind of believers are everywhere all over Africa, Asia, and America increasingly where we feel alone, we feel isolated. We feel like, but is this really the play we're playing? Like spirit of Christ and likeness of Jesus and like carrying our crosses and loving each other and working it out in the gauntlet of real life relationships. Like this feels so weak, This doesn't feel like it's gonna change anything. And the Lord's like, but my eyes are on the righteous. You may feel like you can be dismissed, you can be erased, you can be eradicated, you are irrelevant to culture, but the eyes of the Lord, of Yahweh, the covenant-keeping creator, sustainer of all creation, his eyes lock into the group of people who say yes to the cultivation of Christ on the inside of them. His eyes lock in. My friends wrote a song, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. No, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. She's a way better singer, but I remember a songwriting retreat a couple a year ago. That was the hook of the song. We say yes to this cultivation of Jesus-like spirit, attitude, demeanor, and posture amongst each other. And when, ostr- when ostracization and pressure and pushing and grinding, we can feel like we're being pressed, Like, but the Lord's like, but I see the righteous. I know right where you are. And then even it gets even kind of cooler and his ears are open to their prayer. So he sees us and he hears us. What we're trying to say is Peter won't let us off the hook. How we live impacts how we connect to God and release his kingdom, even in a hostile, I should say, especially in a hostile environment. Listen, as hostility increases in the West, you and I can't rely on yesterday's bread. If we're not genuinely connected to the source, we'll have nothing to release when the pressure gets turned up. But if we're connected we can release the king, his presence, his purpose. Why? He sees us and when we pray, he moves, Everyone wants, look, I love it. Peter addresses like the three core desires of every human. Everyone wants to be blessed, everyone wants a good life. Everyone wants to see good days. Here's the path. He says, bless you, I love you. Restrained lips, humble and holy hearts, peacemakers who are devoted to prayer. That's the summary of those verses. (laughs) What we're talking about, church in America, church on the Central Coast, Peter is giving us a strategy to leave room for God to bring his justice. If we fill up the space, because Peter is not saying it's going to be easy. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, he's not saying it's going to be easy. But if you and I, look at this, if you and I are the ones who get even when we're wronged, you and I filled the gap wherein God wanted to fill it with his justice and righteousness. You have to see that. We have to see that. If we, if, if if when I'm slandered, I fire back a word of accusation. I now occupied the, the space that God alone could fill, because He alone knows the knowledge of good and evil. He, he's the only one who could dissect that issue and that conversation. If I fill it with 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 weightless frivolous and fruitless words if I just let my tongue just rage and follow the spirit of the age I'm filling up the spaces where God wants to intervene and interject his justice and righteousness this is a huge issue The only reason why we fire back or fight back or slander or accuse is we confuse that we are not God. He is the one who reigns on a Psalm 89 throne of righteousness and justice. He alone will bring justice to the ends of the earth, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. He will bring it to victory. That's why I love, I love, I love. I hate it and I love it. How many times am I filling up spaces and relationships and my talking and my attitude and demeanor by being presumptuous to think it depends only and solely on me when the Lord's like, I want you to leave room for me to intervene on your behalf. Friends, that's the whole point and promise of the covenant blessings. Live as I've called you, let me fight for you. Let me step in. Let me right that wrong. Let me take those words. If you fire back in the same spirit, those words have had their way. They won that battle. But if you restrain and leave space and give blessing and then get vertical and start calling down heaven for justice, for the inbreaking of God and his kingdom and his love, you are, we, how, many, how many would say in their life, there, there are spaces that you have filled that God alone is worthy to fill so to bring actual transformation. And and this is what Paul, Paul says, the exact same thing in Romans 12. This is the corollary passage, Romans 12, 17 through 21. He says this, do not repay anyone evil with evil or insult with insult. Listen, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, hear this word, verse 19. Listen, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. The problem is is, is that we actually have too low of a God who still intervenes. We have too low of a view. But Paul's like, leave room. Everyone's saying, you got to leave room. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. How many believe part of the confession of a Christian is that we have hope and confidence that there is a God who will intervene. He intervenes between now and the age to come, but he will definitively intervene at the end of the age and overthrow every wrong and make it right. Justice and judgment are coming. You and I get to participate in the justice of God as we leave room, move and operate in the opposite spirit than the spirit of the age, sowing seeds of the kingdom, knowing that there's an enemy who sows counter seeds. Both are going to grow, but God will have the last say when he sends the angels to reap the harvest. We gotta leave room. Too many of us don't leave room. For God to intervene. Oh, I can't even count. I told 80, it's probably hundreds, thousands. But the Lord wants us to leave room. Now here's what he says. Here's how we leave room for God to intervene. And these are everyone's favorite verses. If your enemy's hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their heads. We like that part. Come on, is anyone in the room Does, uh, do we understand how countercultural following Jesus is in the hour we live? It is like men are. it's like Mars. It's like the gnarliest call, and we're so familiar. all of us have Bibles, but friends, these are not just, oh, that's nice. Peter, so he, that was the first century. What did they know? The most dominant empire at that point in history that could bring them to their knees if they just said yes to the cultivation of Christ-likeness. It's so weak. It's so foolish. It's so, like, we think we need to help God, but I'm telling you, we don't need to help God. He's so wise. Sorry, I just, I, I, I know you're hearing, but I, I know I'm hearing, but I don't, I don't I'm don't i like, I hate when I'm preaching and I don't really believe it, but I do believe it. It's like, I do believe, help my unbelief. How many are there with me? I do believe, but help, I mean, just like, I think this is really the way. Leave room for God. Leave room for God. By your words, you'll be condemned. By your words, you'll be acquitted. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have ma- been made in God's likeness. Out of the same tongue come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. That's James, Jesus' brother. How many, how many believe our words matter more to God than we could calculate or comprehend? I pray the soberness of spirit to to touch us this morning on how we speak so we leave room for God to intervene and interact. That we would reciprocate and respond with a different spirit in our cultural moment. We would say, bless you instead of I'm gonna take you out, destroy you. The result is we have the eyes of the Lord upon us and his ears are open to us. And last I checked, if his eyes are open... And his ears are open, that's a pretty good equation. That's a pretty amazing blessing and privilege. So many of us think if all of us pursued meekness and humility and Christ likeness and left room for God, we, st- we stepped in, we lived for the kingdom in our own sphere of influence. We struggle with believing that that's enough. And I want you to know it's okay to struggle with that because I struggle with it. I often think God needs my fleshly extras, my decibel level, my zeal. And I love my zeal. But the most confident, most rooted in truth person in the room is not the most eloquent, the most loud the most articulate, the most powerful. It's the one who believes that the God who spoke is the God who will do and accomplish. So I, 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 it's the 1120. There's, there's so much more. I guess we'll pick up in a couple weeks because I'm going to take a break from Peter next week. All I've tried to do is just present and share this passage in church, I want to lead a blessed life. How about you? I want to live a good life. How about you? I want to inherit a blessing. How about you? I want God's eyes on me. How about you? I want God's ears open when I pray. How about you? It's not, here's, what, here's the reality. It's not a mystery how to live out of that reality. He's revealed it, amen? But is it costly? And will we need each other when we step out of line? Yes. Remember those first five words, be sympathetic and compassionate with your brother or your sister? How many would say, Chatty, I need sympathy on occasion when I don't operate in the spirit of Jesus? Yes. Come on. Or how about another one? Chatty, I need compassion when I am living for Jesus and it's costing me something at work, in my marriage, in my finance? Come on, somebody say amen. See, it's sympathy. This doesn't mean it's an easy road. I love those five words. We need sympathy and compassion. And what's, tr- what's so troublesome in America, and what we saw with, with Afghanistan, because our nation is so awesome, right? Because God's blessing has clearly been on this land, We're we're so used to saying this is going to happen and then watching before our eyes different dynamic realities and it's like messing with all of our grids. Can can we just talk? Is that true? Like, whoa. And so we have this built up confidence and the Lord in his mercy is, he he allows things. I'm not saying He sometimes he causes them. Just read your Bible. (laughs) Certainly, he allows things, certainly for his church to say, reallocate your confidence and double down on me and my faithfulness. And, by the way, double down on my call for you to be a part of the transformation. Come on. How do we do it? By being formed in the image of the one who every knee will bow before and tongue confess that he is Lord. Do you see that? The greatest difference we could make is by saying a deeper yes to being formed in the image of the one who has the name above every name. Amen. How many believe that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord? And here's what the Lord showed me in closing. Closing. I remember I was driving on the coast. I was getting ready to preach at an interdenominational church in San Luis Obispo, this, this gathering of worship in different churches. I remember the Lord showed me the bay. If Anyone know the, the Avila, that kind of the big, looks like a magnet. I, that's what the Lord spoke to me. It's this big curve. Everyone seen a magnet like Acme, like cartoon magnet? Okay. you. And what I saw, why Peter's so stinking firm on this B. Formed in a different spirit. Be formed in a different spirit. Be formed in a different spirit. The spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus. Be formed. The reason he's so relentless is because the way magnets work is opposites attract. And as I'm driving to Avila to go preach, I remember the Holy Spirit put Philippians 2 on the inside. My Greek scholar, dear friend, Dr. Ryan Giffen said it's the number one passage that's been written about in the whole Bible. More papers, more scholarly work on the passage that describes Christ who had all glory, power, authority. He foregoed all of those privileges to be used on himself, and he gave his life away in service. That's the passage. I remember the Lord showed me, Chad. If my people actually say yes to being formed in the spirit of Jesus, like Jesus, it will provide the opposite to the spirit of the age. And unlike the devil who says, if you really say yes to that, you'll lose your cultural relevancy. On the contrary, the Holy Spirit said, that actually creates the opposite force that the culture is desperate to bump into to pull them into the reality of the one who transformed us by his grace and his love. If we're operating in the same spirit, who's ever put positive, positive on, on come on, every kid in the room. Just, come on. Same spirit, like and like. How many would say, turn on the news, we're in a reality. So the invitation before us is to become the, we'll call us the positive, to the negative negative. So that there's actually something that's wooing and drawing a culture that's dying from its own table of secularism, feasting on its own co- confessions and narratives and truths or non-truths or half-truths. That house is going to crumble, but there will be a house that's built on a rock that will stand in every storm and we can offer bread to a desperate world. That's why Peter and why Jesus and James and Paul, are like, there's actually, I know this thing. I love the Bible. There's very little verses that say, here's how you go outreach. There's 800,000 verses. If you'll become this kind of people, I'm gonna draw people. I mean, it's like 1,000 to one. What is the most compelling thing about Christianity is the spirit of Christ to change people in the image of Christ. And I remember as I drove and I saw the bay, the Lord's like, that's the community That magnetic, radiant community cultivating the opposite spirit of the age, the spirit of Jesus, that will actually be the drawing, wooing force for the hour. How many want to be magnetic? (laughs) To operate in a different spirit? I do. And I can't get there. I need help. I need the Holy Spirit. I want to be more like Jesus. So let's stand on our feet. Let's just welcome the Holy Spirit to go deeper. Maybe you're here this morning. You're like, Chatty, my my mouth, my tongue is a mess. It's like a fire. And you're like, you're right. The Bible actually calls your tongue a fire. (laughs) It's almost impossible to tame. You're right. The Bible says it's like a wild animal. But there is one who can be Lord over your heart, your mind, your life, and your emotions and your tongue. And his name is Jesus. His yoke is easy and his beautiful burden is light. And so can we just say right now to the Romans 8, 6 invitation to be governed by the Spirit. Can you just pray that? 1 Thessalonians five twenty three Say, Father, sanctify us by the Spirit of truth. Cleanse us transform us from the inside out. And Father, this preacher confessed, I so often do not believe that this is enough to bring transformation, but Lord, I lay my opinions down before the gospel, before the word, and I wanna leave room for you because the last I checked, you're the one that doesn't want anyone to perish but all to come to repentance and faith and the knowledge of the Son. You're the one who left heaven, went bankrupt so that I could be rich in your grace and your mercy. You're the one that gave your life to save the world. You're the one that loved me, not at my best and brightest, but at my deepest, darkest rebellion and sin. And you loved me and gave yourself for me. And so, Holy Spirit, as a church, we say we want to be superintended and governed by the Spirit of Jesus himself. So come, Holy Spirit. We say yes to the word. We don't say yes to any other narrative, any other storyline, any other opinion, but the word of God. And I thank you, Lord, that you place people in this room to serve as that magnetic force in their workplace, in their marriage, in their friendships, in their relational networks, in their neighborhoods, at the grocery store, to walk in an opposite spirit that actually we think that devil says, oh, you're gonna be so repulsive. It's actually offering a compelling alternative to every other story out there. So Lord, I pray for an upgrade of faith of how you actually work in the world, show us your ways, fill us with your glory, and send us in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen.